Welcome to the Sheila Kama Extractive Podcast. Today is my pleasure to welcome Gamreze Mukhai. Gamreze is an integrated environmental management practitioner. With more than 20 years experience in the areas of mining, roads, water, and sanitation infrastructure in Botswana. She has consulted on land use, tourism development planning, mine closure planning, among others, in using the tools and systems that include, among others, environmental impact assessment studies, environmental management plans, and strategic environmental assessments. Welcome to the Sheila Kama Extractive Podcast. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you, Sheila Kama. I'm very happy to be here today. Thank you very much. That's lovely. So let's just start with uh, the notion of uh, environmental impact assessment study. What do we mean by that? Um, environmental impact assessment study is a tool that is used to predict impacts of a particular developmental initiative or a project. It does so through several steps, screening, scoping, detailed assessment, and ends with what is called environmental management plan. That's great. So you, you call it a tool. Uh, yes. And, and you, you say that it has this component part. So how about you break them down for us? When in the process of conducting an environmental impact assessment study, we screen, what are we doing at that stage? Screening is meant to gauge the project as to whether it will require an environmental impact assessment or not. Here, we look at the nature and the scale of the project, as well as the sensitivity of the environment earmarked for a particular project. So at that stage, when the project is not that sensitive, when the project does not have intense activities that can have major and significant impacts on the environment, it can actually be decided that the project does not require an environmental impact assessment. And vice versa, the project is deemed to be targeted to take place in a very sensitive environment. And the project activities can have detrimental impacts, such as mining. It will be recommended for environmental impact assessment. Right. So that's interesting. So what you're saying uh, essentially is that not all mining or infrastructure project warrant uh, this kind of a screening, this, this environmental impact assessment. And that screening is intended to determine which project justifies that or not. So you said that the level of sensitivity, can you add some context to that? What constitutes environmental sensitivity? Um, before I go to explain that, let me correct something. In Botswana, all mining projects require environmental impact assessment. Sure. However, some projects not necessarily related to mining might not necessarily require environmental impact assessment. Um, in terms of now to come to your question, 
in terms of environmental sensitivity, if a project is earmarked for an area such as Okavango, where you have wetlands, that area is highly ecologically sensitive. So definitely a project earmarked for such an area will have to go through environmental impact assessment. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I'm mindful that Bozana laws require uh, the environmental impact assessment for mining projects, but from a purely theoretical perspective and in terms of the concept of screening, it is conceivable that you might say, based on what we know, this mining project does not. But of course, the law itself has taken that option out uh, of what is otherwise a theoretical framework. Let's talk then about scoping. From yes. screening to scoping, what does scoping entail and what is the purpose of scoping? Once screening has recommended that a particular project requires an EIA, the scoping process kicks in. Here, the project is considered in terms of what are its potential impacts? What is the geographic area of reference? What will be the footprints of this project? So scoping will set the terms of reference for the EIA study. So, so essentially, at that point, you are saying, based on what we know about uh, either the ecology or the size and the scale of the work and the geographic features, uh, this is what the study must cover because these are the questions we want to answer. Would that be correct? Definitely. Right. So I, I want to come back then to, you know, the, the process itself. I mean, once we've done this, what then becomes the tangible outcomes of uh, the environmental impact assessment study? After scoping, now with the terms of reference, you go to what is called detailed assessment or detailed environmental assessment. So the outcome of the environmental assessment will now be the impacts that have been assessed in terms of their magnitude and in terms of their significance. That will be the outcome of the environmental assessment. Yes. As part of the environmental assessment, we also consider what is called alternatives. Alternatives can be in, the, in terms of technology. Alternatives can be in the form of location. It can be in the form of routing. It can be in the form of alternative inputs, alternative way of doing things. So it's part of detailed assessment. So in other words, um, having established uh, the parameters through the scoping and then having conducted the study, you use the outcomes to say the project as originally conceived needs to be 
either adapted or needs to be changed to accommodate this. And that might mean technological and interventions, and that might mean physically in the case of a road, for instance, uh, redirecting it. And the goal would be to mitigate what you in the study have identified as the risks of otherwise not instituting those uh, interventions. Is that the goal? Precisely. Uh -huh. So you, you, you've said quite rightly that uh, in many jurisdictions, including Botswana, the environmental impact assessment study by law is required as a precondition to evaluating applications for mining license, et cetera, et cetera. Now, th there's always a difference between what the law requires and then there is uh, what the industry is willing to do. I wanted to ask you, with respect to environmental impact assessment, how does the study uh, help ensure that industry meets standards? Uh, because it's one thing to say, this is what you will do. It's another to then ensure that it is the, the task or the intervention is carried out at the right levels in terms of uh, best practice in environmental protection. Um, if I'm to use the example of Botswana, we do have guidelines for undertaking EIAs. However, for industries such as mining, they have also adopted best practice in terms of doing not only EIA, but many other processes, such as even mine closure. They also subscribe to the requirements from their mother companies, if I may put it that way. If you take, for example, Anglo group of companies, they will have the set standards that they want adhered to if you are to deliver EIA to the required standard. They use the government standard as a minimum, but they expect the process to meet best practice requirements. So if I read you well, what you're suggesting is notwithstanding the law, sometimes local standards may not necessarily rise to international standard. And that in this case, companies that operate internationally tend to default to those higher standards. Is that uh, your general observation? Exactly. They even adopt World Bank and IFC standards. Uh, as in, I think the equator principle and other uh, such uh, tools. So let, let me ask you, we've, we, you've leaned uh, towards mining, which uh, pleases me because that is the focus, extractives are the focus of the Shila Kama Extractive Podcast. So presumably there are certain aspects of mining and mining's interface with the environment that render mining particularly or potentially risky. What are the aspects then of uh, your studies that are uniquely intended to mitigate the risks to the environment posed by mining projects? So please come again. 
my question was, um, are there any specific aspects of your environmental impact study that purposely seek to mitigate mining's environment as opposed to say, for instance, road and building infrastructure? Thank you. The focus on the focus of the environmental impact assessment when it comes to mining, before it can come up with mitigations, it says, what are the main or significant impacts of mining on the environment? One such is waste management. Mines produce a lot of waste. Another such is water resources, that is both surface and groundwater. It goes on, it degrades the land, the soils. So the mitigations will therefore target this significant environmental impacts that come as a result of mining processes, that is both during construction and operation. So the mitigations will be geared towards this. If for instance is water, water management should be put in place to make sure that though the extractive industry uses a lot of water and it also pollutes water resources, it needs to adopt water management technologies to ensure that the impact is mitigated. Hmm. So when you did the introduction, you made reference to uh, starting with screening, scoping, and then in terms of reference, producing the report all the way to what you called uh, an environmental management plan. I, I wanted you to Tell us what that is and how, what the environmental management plan's specific contribution to protecting the environment is in the context of mining projects. Thank you. Environmental management plan is a culmination of the environmental assessment process. I said before, Environmental assessment will come up with impacts. Environmental management plan goes a step further to now come up with measures and plans to develop plans to address identified impacts. To say, how then do we manage these impacts to eradicate them, to make sure they don't happen? or to minimize them or to manage them. So it is a plan with a series of other plans. And in managing this, the environmental management plan looks at the requirements, be it of legislation locally, be it those of conventions, be it those of international best practice to say, we need to develop these plans to make sure that we mitigate the identified impact. 
Yeah. So when you say is the culmination, basically that is the tool you were referring to when you defined uh, environmental impact assessment studies, when you said ultimately it's a tool. The tool, once we've gone through all those steps, is this plan, which to your point may have different uh, work streams within that broader plan. And, and that is what you do, you use rather to essentially mitigate the impacts that the study will have identified. So, I mean, are there, briefly speaking, main components of an environmental management plan? Uh, here, I'm, I'm assuming that you have a plan during the production phase, but that there might be a plan also post mining uh, stages. So I wonder whether we could start with the elements, the, the corner poles of the plan during the mining phase. What are they? Our plan actually starts from pre-mining phase and then mining phase and then post. The plan pre-EMP, pre-construction EMP, will deal with site clearance and site preparation. What is it that needs to be done during that stage? The plan during mining will deal with all the activities, will deal with all the impacts from the activities that take place during mining. Mining is an extractive industry. So the impacts that result from this activity, for example, will be erosion and sedimentation, would be problems with water quality, would be problems with air quality, will be problems with flora and fauna, will be issues of mine waste, hazardous materials, etc. So during mining, the environmental management plan implements mitigation measures aimed at curtailing or minimizing all the impacts that I've just outlined. That is during these problems happen every day as the activity is carried on or carried out. This is during mining. Post mining, post mining, you talk in terms of rehabilitation. Environmental management plan is not an end in itself. There will be activity after mining and that entails rehabilitation. However, another instrument comes in as in mine closure plan, which also addresses issues of rehabilitation. During this process that is post-mining, EMP will look at what remains after mining. It will be the cars, the pits. It will be a lot of water that will still come out after the process. It will be waste dumps, hotelings and other facilities that needs to be monitored. And here, the monitoring will also include 
monitoring the recommendations that will come from my enclosure plan. Here, they kind of, there's kind of an overlap between the decommissioning from the environmental assessment process and the decommissioning as in rehabilitation as a recommendation of the mine closure plan. So environmental impact assessment and environmental management plan will be monitoring the implementation of rehabilitation measures. How are they being implemented? Are they according to the standards set by environmental management plan and the key performance indicators as spelled out in the monitoring plan? Hmm. So uh, just a couple of things. You speak of uh, the, the water will still be coming out and uh, you also speak of tailings, you also speak of dams. Of course, not everybody uh, is, uh, is an, an environmental scientist like you know, are they miners? I guess what you're saying is, is when you mine, you invariably intersect water. And, and that water comes to the surface where otherwise it might have remained underground. And, and once the mine uh, stops, it, the water outflow does not stop. Uh, you're also saying dumps because that's where the, 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 the soil that is removed to access the mineral is placed and then tailings are, you know, part uh, waste, part uh, mineral content. But what you're saying is, when you started and said mining uses a lot of water, mining moves a lot of soil and interface with the environment, this is what you meant. And what you're saying is at the end, thought has to be given to what do we do with these things. Uh, to your point, how do we rehabilitate uh, the environment to as close as possible uh, to its original form or minimally some productive capacity? Would that uh, capture your, your thoughts as a professional accurately? It does, it does. Okay. That's good. So now then, you know, my experience with mining oil and gas projects, especially large ones, is that they attract very big companies with the wherewithal to invest, uh, extract, market, et cetera. But as time goes, and because these resources are finite and they diminish in size, large companies don't find them profitable and often move on or sell them to somebody else. Now, if I, if you know that is indeed correct, that means at some time the person who started the mining is not the person who ultimately ends up as the owner when the mine finally closes. And I wanted to ask you what we know about the importance of governments holding the right people to account despite this change of ownership. How is it presently handled? Thank you for the question. Earlier on, I said, when we get to the issues of rehabilitation, and decommissioning, we get mine closure plan and environmental impact assessment decommissioning stage getting intertwined. Um, we are talking liability, if I get your question properly. 
And the question is, does the new owner adopt the liability or the previous owner continues to shoulder the liability? Absolutely. Whatever remains post closure. This Absolutely. I'll answer this way. Here you have two different pieces of legislation now kicking in. You have Environmental Assessment Act and Mines and Minerals Act. Environmental Assessment Act is very clear. There would have been environmental assessment study undertaken and this remains in force. So as long as the operation is there, the environmental assessment will demand that whatever is outlined in the environmental management plan be followed to the latter by whoever has taken over ownership. However, the liability when it comes to the mine closure component, it is not straightforward. Depending on the contractual arrangements between the previous and the current owner, the liability will be apportioned as per the requirements of the contractual agreement. For example, a new owner can come and buy a component of a mine, not necessarily the entire mine, but there are rehabilitation requirements in place on the other side. And the previous owner is liable. So for the new owner to come, it doesn't automatically mean that taking over liability. This is all spelled out in the contractual agreement. And the authority responsible will now demand who according to the contractual agreement to take the liability. Hmm. Yeah, so, so basically what you're saying is the environmental plan on the basis of which the mine is given the go ahead remains in force as long as that operation uh, is ongoing and it, 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 it doesn't pay attention to who owns or doesn't own the mine. It is the yes. operations and the, the conditions of license. And then when a third party acquires those rights, they also acquire the liability that comes with that environmental uh, management plan because it's all part of the condition for having access to the resource, right? Correct. Right. But you are also saying the law recognizes that when two people uh, conduct business, and in this case, selling a mine or the rights to a mine to another person, they may come up with their own terms on how they share liability for all sorts of things, including this. And that for purposes of decommissioning and others, that may be one way of determining who is liable. And, 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 and then it will be a combination of both the law and, and the agreement. Precisely. Uh, right. So let me ask you one last question. So it's one thing for us to have a law that sets out who is responsible. It's another for the people responsible to have the financial capability to then meet that environmental liability. Because 
uh, typically, as the mine gets uh, old, uh, the grades get poor, the production is reduced, then naturally the revenue is reduced. So what are some of the ways by which we not only make sure that mining companies and for that matter, uh, petroleum companies are liable, but that actually they have the means to meet that liability. Mining companies are required to have what is called closure fund. This closure fund should not be used under whatever circumstance to fund anything to do with operations. It has to be specifically kept and maintained for closure. In terms of the fund, it is also important that at any given time, the rehabilitation requirements and the money that has been put aside should actually, the money should actually be in a position to meet the concurrent rehabilitation requirements and the rehabilitation at the end of the process at whatever time. So it is a requirement by law that mining houses, mining operation should have in place this closure fund. And this closure fund should be audited versus the requirements and the budget for the closure plan. And this closure plan is updated by law every five years. In there, there is a budget for rehabilitation and closure. So this fund must always be maintained as per the dictates of the closure plan. There it calls upon the authority to make sure that they also do their part in terms of auditing to make sure that the money is in place for rehabilitation requirements. Some of the rehabilitation is concurrent, some will be at the end, but there has to be adequate funds for this process. Thank you. That's fantastic. So basically what you're saying is that two things. One, the plan isn't static, it's updated every five years to ensure currency with respect to not just the environmental remediation requirements, but also with respect to the budget and its capacity to meet today and future uh, financial obligations. And that here, auditing and then presumably requiring that the fund be increased if the auditor concludes that current funds are not adequate is the answer. Is that right? Exactly. Absolutely. Well, uh, that was fantastic. Uh, I enjoyed speaking with you and learned a lot. Thank you very much for taking time to talk to the Sheila Kama Extract podcast. Thank you for talking to me. Thank you very much.